I, I suppose I really believe in the idea of there's something there's always something that the collective can know that the individual never can and so trying to access that collective knowing or wisdom or intelligence whatever name you want to give to it or collective consciousness or is is the thing I'm most fascinated by um, because I feel like if we could draw on that more more actively and, and almost see that as a kind of muscle that we need to keep practicing that's the thing that is going to put us in good stead to face the many challenges we will face going forward you're listening to the spaceship earth podcast with me dan burgess hi this is dan welcome to the show thanks for tuning in this is episode 36 uh i'm in conversation with cassie robinson now, Cassie is a strategic designer, uh, a senior leader, currently heads up the UK portfolio at the National Lottery Community Fund. Um, now, Cassie has been, I've, I've been following Cassie and her work for, I don't know, probably a decade or so. Um, she is um, right, has always been right on the leading edges of influencing change within systems in our in our in our culture exploring social justice equality um really uh, how to break down the kind of systemic um uh, oppression and uh, uh impacts on the most vulnerable and marginalized uh in our in our cultures um she is someone that is always kind of very, very highly skilled, I think, at kind of sense-making and exploring um, the relationships uh, often unseen, again, in our systems that lead to um, uh, so many of the kind of social and um, environmental issues we're, we're experiencing and, 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 and really starting to understand more. She's worked across so many different projects and experiments, platforms. Um, I'm not going to list them all here, but I'll, I'll, I'll put them into the show notes. But um, yeah, has really been, um, you know, very much on, the, on, 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 on the, the leading edges of the, I guess, the social innovation culture in the UK very much an experimenter as well often as a designer you know i came across cassie's work around uh, a concept she she developed called the civic shop many years ago which was exploring a kind of pop-up store for for kind of social activism social innovation community-led social change which are, you know again ideas that were just really really um uh, ahead of ahead of, uh, of of time um she was a co-founder of the point people which exists today still which is a sort of networked uh, organization looking again at kind of how do you address systemic challenges in our in our cultures and societies and anyway um, um cassie does amazing work and uh and and i guess also over the 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 more recent years she's been very much exploring um sort of our ability to imagine uh or to, to let go of 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 things in our in our in our cultures um particularly exploring some of this work from uh, the Bacana Institute, which you, if you're a regular listener, you've heard me sort of riffing on in the past, but how do we let go? How do we um, how do we almost kind of let things die in our culture, in our society? And also how do we reimagine and imagine more socially about a different future that we want to bring forth? So super interesting uh, and really, really pleased to bring you this episode. Now, this was recorded uh, very early June. It was, I think, a few days after the George Floyd killing. Um, so again, um, uh, that was very um, 
I guess, present in our in our conversation. So let's cut to it. This is episode 36 of the Spaceship Earth podcast with Cassie Robinson. Enjoy. We live on a life-giving rock called Earth, hurtling through space. How bonkers is that? Cassie, welcome to the Spaceship Earth podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. That's right. It's um it's it's Friday and it's um it's been quite a, another sort of monumental week. Um I thought before we sort of got stuck in, I mean, how, how are you doing? Where are you at the moment? Where, where can we play? Can I sort of just like to place everyone? Yeah, sure. So I am, um, I'm currently sitting on the sofa with my feet up, <laughs> with my laptop balanced on some cushions in a semi-detached house in a little South Cambridgeshire village, um, which is actually my mum and stepdad's house, which is where I've been since the 13th of March. So since just before lockdown. Yeah. Um, and it does also mean I've realised that at any time one of them could walk in, but I will try and sig- signal to them not to. That's all right. My my dog might might take make an appearance as well at some point. She does. I don't know. I think she gets a bit jealous. And um, but um, so um, thanks for hooking up on this. I know we've been trying for a while to talk, and um, I guess you know starting off. I mean you. You're someone that I, I I often I sort of look at what I'm doing and get exhausted. But I, I from when I look at the work you do, I I you have always been someone that's just prolific to me. Always, um, you know, just has so many things happening, and they're all like um, super interesting. Um, they feel like uh, where you know so so kind of like where the world always needs where we need to be sort of moving as a sort of species and uh and but you work quite across a lot of stuff and I'm really interested in that and you know I will we can dig into some of it but I think one of the things that I've always explored I guess I'm exploring through my work and um and then through this podcast but increasingly over the years through my work I guess is sort of how we how we shift to sort of take more care and responsibility of ourselves of those around us in our communities and you know I guess for me the there's been always been a bit more emphasis in my work around the the more than human world when I when I look at a lot of your work you're someone to me that you know everything you do it seems to me to be sort of connected to this kind of bigger sort of responsibility and sense of care um and and often at least my understanding around, you know, you're always looking at those that tend to be suffering a lot or the most or the most marginalized or oppressed. That seems to be a, a, a big theme. Could you sort of just tell me a bit about how, if that feels right as well, or it feels like a, a, a place to start, I'd love to know sort of just, and my, I know my listeners would love to know that sort of journey into this kind of, this sort of, you know, this path that you, you've been going down for, for, for quite some years, right? Is that all right to start there? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I guess I guess where I actually started was was very different in the sense that my very first um, work was actually in the fashion world, which um, I'm not sure that does very much for uh, social justice in general. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, when I sort of made a switch from fashion, kind of transitioned 
I guess my background in design as a fashion mm. designer into thinking about the role of design in in social justice in change in um yeah social change um then I became much more sort of visibly and vocally committed to to social justice I I probably still didn't necessarily use that language um, yeah. I think that's also and 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 there's aspects of that language now that that aren't all encompassing enough but I think probably what has always run through as a thread for me um even in my fashion days even though it was very hard to actually translate that into sort of practical action was like justice is very important to me um so much so that it sometimes feels like it sort of gnaws away at me a bit but yeah this kind of uh, I I have and, and maybe that is a sort of a link to care but I I tend to um be drawn to the people that are often marginalized or misunderstood or misrepresented or or oppressed or less visible um you know where you have to like look listen and understand with in a different way um Mm. and that's probably something that yeah is a common thread um I also think I haven't done anywhere near enough of um that the sort of work around social justice and and racial justice which is very timely this week to be reflecting on Um, but you know I I think I even though that is a is something I've always really had a commitment towards uh, there's a lot about that work I've also got wrong and not done anywhere near enough around too I think I you know I've I've been very much a part of what's sort of been labelled in the UK as the sort of social innovation um, community. I was going to yeah. say the word movement, but I think that's too grand. Um, yeah. And I and I guess that community of which I've been part has also been, I think, guilty of not doing anywhere near enough to think about equity um, and and who's centred in change and... Yeah, it's actually a it's actually a very white community. Um, so whilst I I liked your introduction, <laughs> there there are bits of it that are I don't think I quite deserve. Um, it's an ongoing journey, I think, to be working around those yeah. questions of equity and justice and um, oppression and getting out of the way and who you're centering and all of those things. Yeah, and it, I mean, and it is so live, right? I mean, I, I think, I mean, you know, likewise. I mean, having all kinds of, uh, um, yeah, all kinds of reveals it, it myself this week, and with my family, and you know, and and it's it's. I was chatting to someone earlier about sort of like struggling a little bit about how it's almost have sort of feeling almost that I've kind of been so aware of all of this, this you know, all of this kind of r- racial injustice. For so, I've sort of know, I've been so aware of it for so long, but I feel like I haven't done anything with that knowledge, if that makes sense, or haven't sort of acted like re- intentionally with it and was chatting some about why, why that is, you know, sort of holding a sort of knowledge, but feeling with all these other, you know, you, know, you can get lost with the, 
you can get lost with the issues that you're trying to sort of carry in the world or or serve or or you know but it's interesting to me how much how much is being revealed you know in these days months whatever that that is obviously really uncomfortable but obviously is 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 where the is sort of i guess an invitation to step into this you know another another sort of very deep area of learning and unlearning and um and work and uh yeah sort of just everything just feels yeah even sort of pre you know we're talking sometimes you think you know that did the pandemic did that even happen i don't know it's just so, it's like so so much is evolving so fast um you you like, I mean, you're, you know, you are, as you say, you're a designer, you're quite, you're a strategic designer, very conceptual as well, how you sort of work, but you also, I mean, in the last few years, you're, you're, you're leading a lot more as well, right, in your work, and they're quite sort of different disciplines as well. Tell me a bit, tell me a bit about that, and how that's sort of evolved for you. Um, when you say sort of leading more, do you mean as in just, like, as in, I'm I'm Build, working in an organization where I have a have a leadership role and yeah building teams I guess and you know sort of maybe moving more from that sort of you know um working more on sort of you know con- working more as a designer on ideas and um you know projects and then moving more into a team-based culture of sort of having you know as I say not I'm not I'm not and I guess I'm curious about the forms of leadership but I guess it's that shift yeah in, into organizations I guess yeah it's um yeah the it, it wasn't until I actually worked went and worked at dot everyone full-time back in 2015 where which is where I was for three years that was and I think I was 38 then if I can do my maths right and yeah. that was like my first time ever um as a full-time PAYE member of a team um and and now in my in my role in in the National Lottery Community Fund, um, it it is different in some ways. But it's I, I think I think I'm still trying to work out what are the things that are different or feel different about being inside an organisation, um, mm. because I think there is a lot of myth about you know what what's different when you're used to working in a much more fluid um maybe autonomous way across multiple projects and initiatives where you still Mm. might be leading you know some of the work I've done outside of organizations I've still been sort of leading teams and and some quite significant in size um but I guess that's been more project-based rather than in an organization and there's something about when you're in an organization there's this new set of skills around leading a team or that's the myth and I suppose that's yeah. what I'm I yeah I, I still haven't quite worked that out because actually so far um I've not I've found most of what I was doing before quite transferable into this into the context I'm now in you know yeah. a lot of a lot of the work of leading a team in an organization and being more kind of institutionalized, if you like, is, you know, it sounds awful, but a lot of it is about, well, tactics, but I always think that's not always a great word. It's about understanding people. It's about understanding the psychology of people and 
it's about the relationships it's about understanding how to like navigate and maneuver through things and um when to let things go and when to really be principled and hold you know firm about something it's Mm. it's about negotiation and compromise and you know like there's a whole set of ways that you need to be um balancing being present for the team versus being external that I that I do actually think you can also get very good at not being in an organization and that yeah I'd quite like to bust a few myths Mm. and I and, and I probably feel I probably have a strength of feeling around that because in the past I, I I rarely apply for jobs. There was a couple of jobs I did apply for mm. and I was, you know, the reason for not getting the job was, or the reason I was giving, given for not getting the job was, oh, you know, but it's someone like you would find it really hard working inside an organization like that. <laughs> yeah, um, I've had that one before. <laughs> yeah, and, and that, and I'm like, that, so I think, yeah, I, I, I want to write about it actually because I think it's really unhelpful and this idea that, people working in organizations have this particular set of skills that you can't possibly have had you can't possibly have if you haven't worked inside a big organization and I don't know if I think that's true yeah how's that because I guess that's it's interesting with um at least some of the uh, you know um some of the things I've been working on during the pandemic with organizations and it's just been quite fascinating to see how they're adapting being remote and being you know with uncertainty and suddenly having all these kind of life stuff integrated into their days, you know, and just, you know, seeing how the weeks have panned out from sort of total carnage to sort of people starting to let go of things, you know, and, and becoming more, you know, there's sort of different sort of form of trust that starts to emerge, you know, after a bit of time and mm-hmm. that there's this more, but how's, how's that been, how's that been for you and, and your teams with this, you know, since the kind of lockdown has, um, has that you know has has that kind of opened things up in a in a different way yeah i mean i think i think it's definitely seen us working um differently as an organization uh, you know that there, there there's no roadmap for how to work in a pandemic and <laughs> you know so i think that that alone requires a level of humility that is maybe not always there um you know like it it requires people to put their hands up and say like we don't know um i think what's really challenging for people like leading teams in that context is how you um how you show that humility like or like show show your sort of vulnerability and not knowing whilst also being able to create some kind of um sort of clarity or safety for your team so I think that's been a that that's that's the sort of tension that is is a chat you know is is difficult to hold I think um you know we've definitely been able to do things at pace and you know some things that we probably thought were really essential before definitely we've seen aren't um and that's required you know a level of trust of like let's just go with this you know like Mm -hmm. we we can't go through these five different loops of conversation that we might have thought we needed to before we're just going to have to go through one and um and then I think 
I think the sort of working remotely, like luckily as an organisation, we were very well set up to work remotely already. Um, my my team alone is sort of distributed across four of the four UK countries and in about three different regions as well in, in England. Um, and I think there's something about, but I think, yeah, only being online and we've been able to have a much more consistent, way of connecting um much more regular check-ins and there's something I think a bit more leveling too I guess like sometimes when you're in a physical space with Mm. people there can be certain power dynamics that maybe come up more than is possible through you know zoom um yeah so yeah there's it's 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 definitely shifted a sense of hierarchy, a sense of humility, a sense of what's possible that we didn't think was before and and really accelerated some of the things that we wanted to do. Um, and it, yeah, it's, 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 it's sort of emboldened um, us, I think, to do things. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to see how, you know, how these learnings and experiences will play out, you know, when, you know, what, whatever whatever sort of emerges from all of this and whatever want people want to call it. But I think, you know, it'd be interesting to see which, which new behaviors kind of people want to hold on to and what they're sort of prepared to let go of yeah. um, as, as we evolve. Can you just, I, there's a, I, I want to dig into some, some of your, um, some of your thinking and sort of this sort of your, the way you see things and there's some stuff, you know, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm really super interested in what we're getting to, but can you just give us a sense now, just for listeners, like the work you're doing right now, what's, what's, the, what's at the crux of it? Yeah. Um, so there's, I guess there's a few different, I'll, I'll talk about a few different hats. Yeah. Um, You've got a few. I've got many, I've got, I've got very few hats compared to the, compared to the ones I did have, but. <laughs> you now, you've got rid of some. Yeah. I took on, um, really what is a is a full-time role at the National Autry Community Fund so I mean I was obviously I'm one of the co-founders of the Point People mm-hmm. um, but I'm on a sabbatical from the Point People this year which has been really strange because in some ways it's a time I would love to be really connected into all that wisdom of that crowd. Yeah. Um, tell folks a little bit I mean I've had Ella on in the past but tell tell folks a little bit just about the premise of the Point People because it's yeah. super interesting. So, so it's our 10 year anniversary this year. And um, when we set up in 2010, it was, it was based on this idea. It was, it was two things. It was one that there was this real um, emphasis at the time on everyone becoming a social entrepreneur. And I think there was a group of us that felt like we were playing a different, but still as useful sort of role within the wider system of change and that was the role of you know people that are well networked really good at pattern spotting really good at translating between worlds really good at making sense of things um really good at sort of seeing how different things can be combined in new ways so this kind of i guess people have names for it bridge builder sense maker mm. network weaver so we we had we curated a group to come together as the point people who we thought were doing those kind of roles which were undervalued very invisible and not very well understood yeah. um 
and then the other sort of intention around it was this this recognition too that you know the the kind of scale and complexity of change that we all needed to be part of like facilitating was mm. going to require it was never going to be addressed by one social enterprise or by one organization um you know it, it was going to require the kind of wisdom of multiple sectors um mm. And and so when we curated the point people, we also intentionally chose people from different parts of the world, you know, p- policy people, arts people, um, design people, people that could, you know, so, so when we were this little microcosm of 16 people, we in some way represented. The yeah, you could of, see a, you could see a bigger hole. Yeah, the collaboration yeah. that needed at the macro scale. Um, so, yeah, that. I guess the one thing we didn't have clarity around and I think has always been confusing to people, but I think that's fine is, is we didn't at that point have like a purpose. So it wasn't like we want to, we're really committed to climate justice or it was more to make the point that there are valuable other roles that are needed if you want to influence change. And, yeah. and this idea that the sum of the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So it was kind of, that was the point. So yeah, so, and over the last 10 years, we, you know, like everyone works on other things too. So we've only really done maybe seven or eight pieces of work. But what has been amazing is that the group, you know, still meets every single month and has done for 10 years now and does, amazing. you know, does share insight across all the different work we do has become this amazing support network um yeah so it's it it's we should have a party good for nothing is 10 years old this year we're trying to figure out what can we do like mm-hmm. i mean well, we've got lots of lots of but you know similarly it's sort of a it's sort of a you know sort of morphing thing you know it's just it's still there doing its thing but it kind of like I said, same, I mean, same, but very different, but, you know, we never really locked onto any particular issue. It was more, how do you just bring, you know, how do you bring sort of networks of creative energy and possibility around things that seem to really matter and don't have much support? Um, But yeah, no, it's amazing, isn't it? Wow, 10 years. Oh, yeah, we should definitely do a joint party. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so now I'm spending my time predominantly at the National Community Fund, which I will come back to in a second. Um, The other, before I found out I'd got my current role, I had also applied to the Paul Hamlin Foundation for an Ideas and Pioneers Fund Award, which I was given. So I'm also doing that at the moment, um, which was for this idea around how do you help organisations to die? Yeah, this is what I want to get really stuck into. Okay. So, So maybe... Oh, so should I, come, should I come back to that one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then we're at the National Lottery Community Fund, which is my my Monday to Friday job, and, um, and which I have to say, working there at this time, at this moment in time during the crisis has been, an, you know, like incredibly hard work, but such a privilege um, and, and such a, res- like I felt a weight of responsibility too. And... You know, we are. And how does it how does it work? For, because lots of folks won't won't know that how the fund works yeah. in the community. So I mean, we yeah. are. Um, I I I probably don't know every every detail that I should about this, but basically, obviously, we are that we are national lottery money. So obviously, there's the national lottery. Yeah. Um, which is, 
license like run by Camelot. Camelot distributes national lottery um ticket sale money to a set of distributors. Yeah. Um, and this is why I won't remember them all because I think there's about seven Sports England, the Heritage Lottery Fund, the Arts Council, um, and then you know, we're the National Lottery Community Fund. Yeah. Um and we're the biggest in terms of the allocation. Um, and we are the sort of largest um, funder in the UK around community activity. And, you know, like at the heart of everything we do is this idea that people and communities are in the lead or should be in the lead, are in the lead. And that that really means that the lottery money is there to support the ideas that, communities have um and to kind of strengthen like communities and I guess broader civil society so what, yeah. uh, alongside communities there's obviously other charities and infrastructure um and community interest companies and cooperatives that all sort of make up um what I do call civil society and that's that's our focus sort of strengthening civil society um and the kind of energy and um yeah the energy that that happens in community of which we have seen so much be mobilized over the course of the last two and a half months in response to the COVID-19 yeah and so what time and how, so and you'll basically support all kinds of stuff can you give us a bit of a flavor of the sort of things that that you'll be kind of backing and yeah so it, it really varies and obviously there's four different you know like so there's because there's also like a bunch of different portfolios. So there's, you know, Northern Ireland, uh, mm -hmm. Wales, Scotland, England, and then the UK portfolio, which is the one that I run. Um, so each country has its own set of programs, which are, you know, like designed with the local, con you know, with the national context in mind. And then we have lots of regional offices as well. Um, and, and so the grants really vary. So we have a few different sort of what we call funding products where awards for all is actually like you know up to ten thousand pounds and that might be um you know that tends to be like very local activity like things that bring communities joy like I don't actually I can't that's terrible that I can't think of an example of one project which shows, <laughs> it shows that I don't work on awards for all um, yeah. but I actually think it's actually a huge percentage of our budget goes on that and I think right I think that's the kind of, you know, that might be we're a community that wants to come together and improve our community centre or we're a community that wants to set up a new group around long-term conditions and people with lived experience in the community, like leading that group. Mm. So it, it can be, we, we don't, we tend not to focus on need and more on sort of, I guess, the strengths in community. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think that that work is really powerful just for it's kind of in some ways some it's simplicity and, and like literal like joy. It's kind of that that kind of quality of of activity that's very local. Um, then, you know, then there's other funding programs that um, are much are much bigger. Uh, we have some a set of strategic programs that are kind of like five year long funding programs um, focused on particular thematic areas um in the uk portfolio um we have three different programs what 
one called Growing Great Ideas, which is really about, um, you know, initiatives that maybe have worked well in one of the countries. And now we want to fund them to sort of spread into. The okay, country. got it. Um, we have a program. That makes of work, sense. Sorry. Yeah. Program of work called um, Exploring New Approaches, which is so we've got the, the new Climate Action Fund is, oh, yes. is in that um you know, where we've committed a hundred million pounds over 10 years, um, which is all about communities being in the lead around climate action. So we're funding. You've done your first, you've done your first lot, haven't you? So your first sort of pilot. Yeah. We're, we're taking the first lot to a, to the funding decision-making panel at the end of June. Mm. Um, but we're going to be doing, you know, a lot more calls for that. Um, we applied. We applied for one of those. We didn't. We didn't, we didn't get shortlisted. But, yes. <laughs> but no, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I mean that. I mean that stuff again. It's just this. The, I mean, just for me, this. Yeah, this sort of the bottom up stuff. You know, rebuilding, redesigning from this from the ground upwards. Just feel. You know, as we know, and we've all been sort of you know exploring this stuff and just you know how to how to kind of um, yeah open up this you know, this ability for communities and places to kind of, you know, see the sort of flavor of, of their place and think, what is it we're trying to, how do we want to live, you know, and <laughs> what's this place calling for and what, what do the people need? And it just feels, and I guess you're seeing with the COVID thing, this must be even accelerating even more now. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I feel like that's a, that's a, when I sort of say it's, it's quite privileged to be at the fund at this time is, in the recovery and renewal although I'm not even sure that's the right framing anymore in this ongoing like ever evolving reality that we're now in the unraveling that continues oh yeah that's your term and I really like that one in (laughs) in this great unraveling well it's Joanna Macy's term but it's just always stuck with me as 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 it's you know sort of from a sort of a self community and world just seems everything is in that kind of unravel yeah in this great unraveling or this ongoing unraveling um the role of communities and and what it means you know we in the uk portfolio we also have a program that is is it's actually called bringing people together um that's not open at the moment but we will be reopening that and obviously what does it mean what does bringing people together mean in a in a world of physical distancing Mm. um but you know the, the the power of community, um, and the power of people coming together to affect change, um, and have the agency and the sort of collective capacity to do that is very central to the work we're thinking about, and we will be sort of doing going forward. Um, so I'm really excited about that, even though it's, it's, I, I don't underestimate the scale of challenge there is too. Yeah it's 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 so interesting like even on my in a little micro level where i live right here you can see like we've got like there's all, all the sort of streets around where we live obviously you know i've had like when you know i don't know what is it six eight ten weeks you know no no traffic around and we have a school at the bottom of our road which is like it gets really mad with cars um and and that's gone and of course we've got all these you know like my wife connected up all the all the roads around here all the whatsapp groups during the pandemic so we've got this really you know really good communications going on between you know the elder the elderly the most vulnerable the young it's all sort of there and then the schools 
uh, started to go back and everyone's quite freaked out about cars and traffic you know because mm. everyone's been you know the streets have been empty and you know there's the air pollution's gone and then you can hear like nature and people are talking to each other albeit distance but they're talking you know they're connecting and they're seeing each other and um and then and suddenly there's this this thing where people are sensing this kind of you know we might be shifting back to something you know mm. and um and even just on that on that level we've been sort of having these kind of you know people have been throwing stuff into the whatsapp groups and you can sense like you know those who are really vulnerable or who feel very vulnerable about like the pandemic the virus they're like i don't want you know because the schools encourage people to drive in you know mm. to sort of and and they'll be, they're like oh but i don't you know i don't want i don't want uh, kids and parents walking down the roads because you know it's, and then you know we're sort of saying well you know but then that's going to force more people onto the pavements and mm. and and basically so you've got these you know and a tiny little micro scale here in this little bit of the world but it's mm. what's so fascinating is and we're trying to encourage we're trying to organize actually like um we're going to do a i do quite a lot of open mic stuff we're going to try and do an open mic thing in the community just mm. Don't know how we're going to do it socially distanced. Everyone have to wear gloves, I guess, to hold the microphone. But um, but but the idea being, like, what have people experienced during this lockdown, which they really kind of want to keep, you know, or what have they, what are they willing to let go of in order to sort of move the place on? Do you know what I mean? And um, and actually sort of floating these things out, and you just realise there's 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 a lot of energy, um, but actually there's also a lot of fear. You know, even on these simplest things, you can see that. For some people, it's like, oh, I just want to change, you know, well, I've just seen what the future could look like. But for others, it's like, ah, you know, so sort of being able to sort of, you know, convene and create these kind of spaces for for these kind of, you know, for, for people to to imagine together and, and, and think about these things. Yeah. It feels a really, it feels like a really important piece of all of this. And I'm so I sort of get, get nervous and anxious that, you know, you know if, if it doesn't start to happen quite quickly it's almost like it you know we might move so quickly that it's almost like it's gone you know mm. these sort of moments to sort of hold this hold this sort of space of possibility in amongst you know the misery and all the other stuff that people are experiencing but I don't know it's just yeah I don't know if any of that connects but no it, I mean it, it really yeah. does and I think I mean I love that you're going to do that and I think um it's <laughs> Well, it, it makes me think of a couple of things. So, yeah, there's been we've been holding quite a lot of tensions around. I've been part of a group, uh, the the National Community Fund and the RSA have been doing some events together um, with a bunch of other people and organisations, some of whom you will know. And mm. we we sort of initially came together um, because we thought, well, what what do we all need to do? How can we all work more um, collaboratively together over the coming months to ensure that we don't go back to lots of the ways things were? And is there a way that we're sort of stronger together, if you like, as, mm. a, as a group? And we've been doing that, you know, for probably the last six weeks. We've done three now. Um, and actually, there's been quite a lot of tentativeness because it's brought up many questions of, you know who should really be leading that are we really the right mm. the right people um and you know there's this sense of urgency 
alongside this sense of if we act too quickly, it, it will be the same usual suspects that come yes. the capacity to do that. So there's all the there's all kinds of tensions around this idea that yeah, the like what are the things we actually really don't want to go back to, and how can we ensure that we don't? Um, and I suppose some of that is also likely to create potentially more division and more polarity. Yeah. So yeah. there's something really important in that, and it's also um, probably by the time this podcast comes out, um, we will have launched at the lottery. Um, we are doing a small fund, which is in, in some ways exactly as you've just described, which is how do you hold open that that space, or that kind of sense of possibility where we're going to be doing um, some some grants that are about really they're in quite their grants for inquiries they recognize mm. that there are um yeah we, we that there is this sort of moment in time where we need to think about narratives we need to think about kind of public imagining imagining mm. community foresight um and also what are the seeds that need planting now so we've that that's going to be launching um in I think about a week and a half um wow. and it's called the Emerging Futures Fund amazing um yeah and I and and I, that is us recognizing that there are voices and organizations that haven't had the capacity like the resource the to, to kind of ask those questions because they're you know firefighting on the front line mm. so the idea is that it gives some resource to some of those kinds of communities mm. and organizations, but that they work with people that do have some specialist expertise in some of those processes and approaches. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm really, I'm really hopeful that that will draw out some really helpful insights and create some really important inquiry spaces. Yeah. Because I think that's, that's the thing where you're hitting on. It's like at least, some of my learning over the years you know is just that it's like you know that these processes these you know where people can participate extraordinary valuable processes are very hard sometimes when people go oh, what's the impact of that <laughs> gathering you know and <laughs> but 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 particularly i think um um you know for for different you know for a, a place where people can be witnessed and heard and that you know the there's so much in that, just in that, just in particularly when you've been through tra traumatic experiences mm. and, and allowing people to um, reflect on that and to share that and for others in community to witness that and whether they're opposing and, you know, which you're going to have and, and all these different perspectives over what good looks like and what people want. But actually, you know, not on their own but there is huge value and we know they're undervalued these these inquiry type processes but actually that's where I think a lot of healing can happen a lot of connection can happen mm. and then a lot of possibility can emerge because there's a do you, do you know what I mean there's a sense of um that, that people are, are involved they're participating somehow so that's that's really interesting and I, um, I think creativity is so important in that too which I know that's obviously a big part of your work because I think mm. you know we we're actually explicitly saying in the call out we're not talking about citizen juries here this isn't about you know democratic processes mm. I mean, not that they shouldn't sort of be democratic in spirit but we're not looking for that 
you know a lot of public engagement yeah goes to those kind of approaches and I'm everyone sitting down listening to the bloke at the front yeah and and that's quite well I I think one of our biggest challenges right now is our is the need for more imagination and Mm. I don't think citizen juries in any way are the space for that so um and I also do believe that yeah there is that those kind of those kind of processes that like the the kind of social dreaming and imagination type approaches do also need holding it's not about here's a box of right and a little table in a village hall here you go community tell us your shared vision for the future right it's also not that and I think that that can also that's sometimes what people think that we mean when we're talking about that kind of work yeah 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 there's a there's a sort of a a a creating a a space for this stuff to happen it's almost like you know you, you have to create the conditions for for people to feel like they can dream imagine you know provoke challenge connect all these kind of things that Mm. there is a there's a sort of um yeah there's a there's a sort of making that space preparing that space and and i think the provoking and the stretching yeah particularly important in that too yeah to get us out of what we believe is possible exactly um so those two things so that so these are these are you know you've mentioned them both which i have sort of always love your writing when you write about these two things and I want to start there's the imagination piece but I'd, I'd love to start more with the with the dying bit because um <laughs> because um you know it, it's you you I mean you I think it was I checked again it was you wrote something I think it was the start of 2019 mm. um I think and um it was a medium post and I think, what was it called? How do we help things to die? Was it that? Was that the first one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and um, and it really connected with me on 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 different, you know, you know, different on many different ways. But it was this, what you know, what what you were getting, and I think you you know you you, you said I don't, I don't mean people, I mean organisations. <laughs> and it's been on, and you but you were talking about how do we how do we close at that point it was how do we close things down that are no longer are no longer working mm. and then and then I think quite recent and then quite quickly after that you wrote another piece about hospicing the old mm. and talking and referring also to the Bacana Institute work which I had become familiar with as well uh, a few years back and really and, and actually more recently I'm really starting to work with it again and it just really I just where you were getting to and this whole idea of this these dominant systems dying and what is what is emerging what is kind of wanting to be born and and you're talking a lot about this kind of hospice worker role and it just really really uh, it really connected and I know you know you've you've inquired a lot into all of this and now this is shaping the project you you mentioned before haven't you and you've got quite a lot of um this kind of stewarding loss I think you're talking about now could you just tell us a bit about all of this because I think it will be fascinating to people yeah I mean it's um I suppose it's it's actually a project that is really it 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 sort of says a lot about who I am as a person and in that I you know going back to what we talked about at the start of I really I I like to confront things that are hard and difficult Mm. and I, I guess like sort of honesty even if that can sometimes feel brutal um I just think is so important and I 
I don't like avoiding like truths I think it's about how you face them and there's real courage in that and I think I've always been if I if I think back quite weirdly someone that has like been interested in death and dying and then you know in more recent times have actually been personally very close to it like my best friend died of cancer in 2015 and I was with her most days in the three months up to her death so I think you know my dad had died the year before um and then actually my coach died the year after my sort of life coach and Mm. so I I've been very close to death in different ways and and that's very painful but it's also you know like it's confront you you can't do anything other than confront it and Mm -hmm. be present with it and go through it and I I guess that and I've also done a lot of work around end of life care um various projects actually about two or three the first one with think public years ago so I've kind of I've been in situations where I've had to talk about things that feel difficult and most of our you know as a culture we find death and dying uh terrifying to yeah can't go near it yeah we avoid it so um so I suppose I I already had through my own personal experiences felt I feel quite equipped to have what are very difficult conversations that need a lot of compassion and care within them um but also like quite like like need to also at points be quite pragmatic and um straightforward too and I think that's like a balance of that that kind of work and and I guess it's not only since I've been at the lottery I think it was it was something I was already thinking about but you know definitely when you're working um as a funder you become more aware of um where money is going um and where money is maybe propping things up that maybe should no longer exist and you become more aware of life life support machines yeah life support machine and 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 like aware of new things trying to come through that actually can barely get resource because there's some things that just will not die um Mm. and and so just and I and I suppose also in you know the point people have done a lot of work uh, under that sort of banner of systems change or systemic change and I feel like for systems to change or as systems are changing because they always are changing the the one the one part of that work that no one re- really ever talks about is is like for, for things to change and new things to emerge and for that cycle of life and death you need organizations to 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 die and um so it was partly like I just felt like there's this 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 narrative is missing from the sort of systems change work although the Bacana Institute had been talking about it a lot and mm. about 10 years so it's absolutely something that was there it's quite hidden yeah. it's quite hidden that that work it's, it's quite, quite it's hidden quite, unless you're really ner- nerding out on systems, yeah, <laughs> systems work. yeah so it's <laughs> kind of in the the more visible and vocal systems change community and and yeah. work going on there it it's it's not something anyone was really talking about um so it was that then then sort of working in funding and just seeing um yeah, seeing the scale of um, 
of maybe organizations that really are are no longer fit for purpose um and then also feeling that you know just being aware of how many organizations are struggling to keep going and some of that is is because of things beyond their control like our you know the political context etc um but some of it like maybe maybe they would be relieved if actually if they could find a way to sort of say you know what I can't keep doing this anymore I just had this like vision in my head of like a third of civil society organizations breathing a sigh of relief that there's actually some resource for them to access and to be able to sort of go through that process of closing down because it's just too hard so that was that was kind of the general idea was was what if there was actually a fund that supported organizations to end well um would that actually encourage organizations to sort of face that reality um so that that was the idea that I'd put into the Paul Hamlin foundation and they uh, were very kind to give me a grant and we were actually just about to start the work just before the before COVID-19 yeah and then when that all happened it felt well first of all we were just like well we just need to pause this work and and then actually after a few weeks realized that this work was going to be more important than ever but Mm. it felt really inappropriate to still call it the farewell fund because I suppose what's really clear is there are actually lots of organizations in civil society that will die you know that are not going to survive um which is why we've we've now called it uh stewarding loss and um you know we're very early in in the work um we've done about five events now uh we've done what we've been calling loss circles yeah Um, which i saw which i saw late and they were all sold out and looked incredible I mean, tell us about those. I think just the fact they've sold out was one of the things that we've just been really struck by. Um, we so so, I mean, we're we're definitely finding our way, and I, I am no expert in in sure. organisational ending. So we've also, I, I've been working with someone called Iona Lawrence who who sort of came on board, but then we were lucky to be introduced to someone called Cass Humphreys. Um, who does have expertise in like grief and loss and we felt like that was important um, in terms of holding the space so the the loss circles have were initially just um, bringing people like we're inviting people to come and talk about um, loss and and trying to really support that space to hold stories around personal loss but being clear that we were talking about organizational loss Mm, mm. Um, and and really the first few were hearing stories about either why people had come so kind of their interest in the in the topic and a lot of what people have sort of spoken about there was, was just some of what I've already touched on that it just feels like it's a conversation that never happens yeah um, some people have come who have experience of closing things down or who who have been within an organization that has ended and I guess all of the things that weren't designed well within those processes. Um, the, the the thing I was most surprised by was actually the level of anger. In, in the first one we did, the, 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 the majority of people that came to that one were feeling really resentful and angry about this idea of those organisations that are just not willing to, to go. Um, the mm. kind of 
the ones that have their foot firmly stuck in the ground um the kind of usual suspects that are actually taking a lot of resource and not making any space for something new to emerge hmm. um so that's been interesting so, yeah so we we've been hearing just more general experiences um and also asking people the question of what what is the loss that they're anticipating so just trying to get a sense of the scale of loss people are sort of hearing about in terms of like organizations closing down people like no longer having work etc um and then the last few we've been doing are much more thematically focused so um one around like rituals around loss one that's around um you know what does it what does a good what does a well-designed organizational ending look like how do you do that well um yeah and I guess the whole point is as a designer like what's the role of design in this so what for me design is all about intent and I guess we can with a lot of this kind of work you could just let it happen but I'm interested in what happens if you don't just let it happen and you actually design these experiences so that they are compassionate they do they are done wisely they do gather the intelligence and wisdom that is held mm. in organizations and that's not lost they do take care of the people and steward people through the process yeah because there's so there's i mean there's cute lots in this and mm. fascinates me it's always fascinated me on, on lots of levels one is obviously just looking looking to the non-human world and how mm. and how things die and you know, and how, you know, and how things break down and order, you know, we need, you know, we need sort of sometimes big, big sort of, uh, if you look at, you know, if you look into a, a forest, sometimes you need, you know, you need light, <laughs> you need light to come down onto the ground for the, for the new things, the, the saplings and the, the new shoots, you know, you need bigger things sometimes to break off or break away or break down for that to happen. And, and then in that breakdown process, all that sort of, composting and fertilizing that goes on from you know even like i don't know what the thing is but you could sort of you know an oak tree even when it comes down you know it will support mm. it will support like you know a couple of hundred different species even when it's kind of effectively you're looking at it, it's going it's dead you know it's got no, it's not it's no longer bringing any kind of uh sort of you know leaves and it's and it's on it's on it and it's been knocked down and but there's this sort of and it so that's one bit that sort of reminds me of i guess what you're speaking to of that there's a lot in an organization that like you say with it with intentional design mm. um it can be it could be a really beautiful process if it was held and supported and both you know financially and um spiritually and you know all these great things and also then what what can transition and i see this as because of you know part of the you know i have corporate work i do as well and i'm seeing it you know so you know so many businesses over the years you're like Christ, you guys, you know, your time is, is gone. Do you know what I mean? It's like, if we're, if we're realistic about having a living world for the future, then these, these products, these things, they need to go, you know, we just got to like accept that they did a thing and they served a purpose, but they're no longer useful. They're just damaging. And, and you need to let go of that in order for new, you know, different ways of, of people, you know, building relationships or, 
different forms of you know non-material consumption or just participating in the world instead of consuming the hell out of it and you know all these things are going to require i think you know a, a, a hospicing process a dying and you see it now with you know with the sort of bailing out conversations you know and industries that we know are again you know from a scientific perspective and an ecological perspective that you know they are destroying life on earth <laughs> so yeah. it's like yeah. i saw this thing today you know it was on the bbc and it was i think it was ed Miliband and tweeting richard branson going you know well, we should only get these subsidies if you're if you become a, a a green airline and i tweeted like can you just say what is a green airline because <laughs> as far as i know <laughs> Like there isn't one. It's not possible. Do I mean not at the scale that we have them now? So, did, and there's this. There yeah. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but I just you know because I think that's the thing and how we speak about these things. But you, you know you can imagine you know um, funding the transitioning. I was thinking when you were talking. I was thinking about you know what would a what would a hospicing process you know what would these kind of lost circles look like for you know airline staff mm-hmm. and. You know what? How could you? Where? Where? Again, it's not necessarily about these industries. You know, disappearing tomorrow, but surely we've got to realise we have to sort of evolve to you know these types of impacts, these types of behaviours that are hugely destructive to the our future ancestors. We've just got to start, yeah. you know, winding them down. <laughs> and, and and like you say, with the work you're doing, there is a. There is a, with intention, this could be such a different story in our culture versus the one of like, oh, you know, all these jobs will be lost. And you know what I mean? And again, it's the story. It's this narrative of how we sort of think about, you know, these evolutions of, of these things, these organizations. And so, mm-hmm. so interesting. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah. You wonder how many of those industries that are, you know, they are dying, even if they or, yeah. or, and if they're not dying, they, they kind of need to. Um, but they but they probably will eventually die for one reason or another. Um, it, it sort of makes you wonder what kind of... Who, who are they paying to come in and do future scenario planning with them? Because who, mm. whoever's doing that work, is it feels like it can't be being very honest. Yeah. Um, or, or maybe that I'm just like, in a naive little bubble but I well no I mean I think how do they think things are going to play out yeah I just yeah that it it would be really because it in a way the bailouts are if we keep going back to the end of life care analogies it's like yeah they're on life support machines yeah um It's, it's literally just keep keep the life support going yeah because you know that you know again if you sort of if you um get behind you know if we ground ourselves in 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 the scientific reality these things they have to wind down you know the idea of things like green airlines or you know fossil you know green green fossil (laughs) fossil fuel businesses going green you know it's like what you know it's like and um so this whole stuff i just find i'm i'm really interested in um and i know again this is my and we can we can maybe we can move on to the to, to dreaming because but I was imagined like, what would it be like now? Like, you know, if we could, if we could, if we could, I mean, the art just even in the UK, I mean, how, how many different kind of questions people must be holding at every level about what they've experienced during these few months, you know, and like what P 
people what matters to different people now you know what what would people be prepared to let go of or what do people really need you know and it just sort of feels sort of almost again sort of slightly pathological that you can just see the machine wanting just to sort of crank the system and it's almost like it never happened do you know what I mean (laughs) it's sort of like but like your I mean your circles that you're that you're doing these lost circles I mean it's kind you just think oh you know they that that feels like things that could you know could be happening all over the place it would could just be such a sort of feel like such a there's so much need because otherwise we're all going to be continue to carry these experiences and and not really you know process them I guess um I'm a sort of great believer that without, you know, if we can't process stuff, can you, can you really, can you really sort of, you know, do those kind of shifts we're talking about without the, you know, without giving people the space to really get these things out? Yeah. And I, I, I would, I don't think you can. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about the lost circles being, you know, like, like I sort of said earlier, we're trying to keep them sort of framed around the organizational endings organizational loss but of course I I don't know I've I've just assumed there would be lost circles also happening around like personal loss and but maybe there aren't and actually it it might, might be really interesting to do you know to do a whole series like you say around um the different kinds of losses and mm. I I just feel like there is so much collective grief that I worry if we don't create spaces to like you say process that to yeah. to kind of move through that and I, I feel like if we really want to heal and I think yeah. healing is important um because of that idea of you know like what's left in the system um, yeah. if we want to heal then we we can't avoid we, you know like we would be so foolish to avoid facing that collective grief and trying to yeah yeah it's sort of it, it reminds me of um because we'll let's talk about the the dreaming piece because it mm-hmm. but it just just the last thing on 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 this kind of grieving the grief and the, and the kind of like this sort of the the dying processes because it's just I remember um last year doing stuff with XR and um um uh, my uh, great friend Jesse Brinton saying you know she was sort of believed that it's she sort of felt that unless people do that you know do the kind of accept the do the grieving um it's very hard to get to really good ideas <laughs> of what could become you know of what mm-hmm. might be possible because you're sort of still quite limiting yourself in this kind of this sort of very conditioned way of seeing of believing what is possible do you know what I mean um it's interesting and and... I think that's why um you know a part of that the part of that grieving um also needs to address and 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 really sort of look at the kind of racial justice you know like colonization right. reparations right. that that you know ca- can can we heal isn't it's not, i suppose what i'm saying is it's not just about can we heal from this this episode that we right. are in but there's you know there obviously you know will know more than i do about like climate grief too and the mm. kind of enormity of that and and our own responsibility in that and the kind of guilt and shame many of us will feel 
that we haven't acted enough on that as we see yeah. all of that unfold. And then obviously there's all the historic, well, the, and that continue to be, you know, all of the injustices around race that yes. um, have nowhere near healed. Um, no, we're uh, just coming to the surface. Yeah. So um, it's, it's but in, that, yeah. that we need to kind of, to do something about yeah um, but maybe that but maybe that the, 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 there is possible you know that i mean you know maybe there is something in this time then with like you say with these all these different you know it's cut this is now coming from so many people and so many different places isn't it and there is so there's in in, in, a, in a sort of in a sort of odd way there is potential for this sort of mm. this interconnection to happen you know if it was if it was intentionally you know because there is so much hurt that's going on um, you know, some are, some are hurting from a planetary perspective, and so many, obviously, as we're witnessing, and as as a white person, obviously, I can't I can't you know I can't offer a meaningful perspective at all. But I'm you know massively aware of this is hundreds of years of of pain, you know, that's coming to the surface now everywhere. And so there's sort of, and then of I guess all the suffering that many others have have had, you know, on on the margins of you know capitalism and poverty and you know this you know so it is it is a time isn't it where there is a sort of a there is a sort of um you know a a, a, I guess a potential for a sort of a a connection through grief maybe I don't know that's yeah I hadn't yeah I'm I'm getting this really strong visual metaphor which I often think visually you know but it is it and that's why even though I would never have wished for um you know like the pain that 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 has been coming from the states around um, george floyd's murder um and then like you know like just what that has oh are you still there yeah 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 sorry my laptop looked like it had gone it's all right um (laughs) that yeah, all, all of everything that has been surfaced through that, what I feel in some strange way that that is keeping that window of possibility open longer. Yeah, no, I agree. There's so much, you know, and, it, and because it's off the back of lots of people being in lockdown and the kind of tensions of that and the fear of that and all of these things coming together feel like they're creating even more cracks in the in the world. And it's like, yeah, there's lots of wounds that are bleeding now. Yeah. Um, and that's harder to sort of gloss over. You know, I think I think you shared it uh, on your Facebook. Um, but there was that really good article about the gaslighting that's going to happen on mass mm-hmm. about this period of time. And I feel like all of these wounds um, are going to make that harder to do. And so, whilst I wish those wounds weren't there, I I I they I think yeah I think they create more of this possibility of something really yeah. changing yeah no I, I I'm a hundred percent with you on that I really I really do believe that and you had um you had something on your your student loss it was a Nick Cave quote actually which I which I which I loved because it's sort of said, we'll, we will be asked to decide what we want to preserve about our world and ourselves yeah. and what we want to discard and um and so I want to talk about I want to talk about the imagination work and the social dreaming work because that's another strand yeah. that sits alongside this work that you're doing, right? And yeah. 
again, just from a personal sense, it's so so interesting and yeah, it just feels yeah with this you know in my sort of simple view of the world and my own experience, it's like yeah through through grief, if you can get to, if you can get to the bottom and have the breakdown and break through, then then the imagination just wow, it's it really you know you really can open up to. It's just it's completely different ways of seeing and thinking about the world, mm. and so I'm really interested in in what you're what you're what you're doing here with this imagination work. Could you tell us a bit about how that sort of developed and where it's at yeah, with some of the initiatives you're doing? Um, again, I mean, I am no expert in this, <laughs> but I mean, maybe no one needs to be an expert in some yeah. of an imagination. But um, there's lots of other people that I think have. A lot more wisdom around this but I I mean I guess it, it the, there's sort of two parts of the story and then they've sort of come together a bit or one got lost a bit so some of this was actually um some of my interest in this actually was more around like the idea of the collective consciousness or the kind of our collective wisdom which kind of was sparked in about 2014 when I became really interested in the idea of collective intelligence and I went over to the US to a conference at MIT on collective intelligence um, and felt really troubled by the fact that a lot of the collective intelligence community that was growing at that time was very focused on really what is, um, you know, the intelligence of our minds. And there was very little being written about kind of... or. I'm sure there was, but just not in my little bubble of reference yeah. and very little being written about um, the kind of intelligence of our bodies and, and that kind of, you know, the idea of embodied knowing and yeah. intuition and these other forms of intelligence um, that you might get through connecting with nature and all of, all of those things felt really missing. And, and I guess as I started to do more work around technology and, and digital, um, I felt like if we, you know, if we didn't put more awareness and intention into sort of building our capacity of um, drawing on our kind of collective intelligence, but through those things that are uniquely human, like intuition and yeah, intuition, different ways of knowing. Yeah. Then we, you know, the idea of us sort of co-evolving with technology, the kind of living systems would always be on the back foot mm. um so that was I mean it's still something I'm really interested in but it you, I don't know if you can tell from how I'm talking I still find it quite hard to like explain really clearly it's yeah, a yeah. very visceral feeling I have of just you know there is I, I suppose I really believe in the idea of there's something there's always something that the collective can know that the individual never can mm. and so trying to access that collective knowing or wisdom or intelligence, whatever name you want to give to it or collective consciousness or is, is the thing I'm most fascinated by. Um, because I feel like if we could draw on that more, more actively and, and almost see that as a kind of muscle that we need yeah. to keep practicing, that's the thing that is going to put us in good stead to face the many challenges we will face going forward. So I, I started off doing some experiments um, in the middle of last year with my friends Sam Roddick and Deborah Jabeco, where we were bringing convening people over Zoom because they were all over the 
workplace, not just mm. in the UK, and, and trying to do these sort of collective consciousness experiments. And it was very experimental. We didn't we didn't sort of really know what we were doing, but we were just giving it a go and using our interest. The best way, the yeah. best work. <laughs> um, but but that sort of, we, we, we paused it for various reasons, and I'm sure at some point the three of us will pick that back up. But alongside that, what was also happening um, was I, you know, I, I, I was sort of doing my usual work in kind of civil society and, and feeling like a growing concern by what I felt was civil society's general lack of ability um, to reimagine something different. And that sounds really harsh. And I recognize a lot of the reason for that is because you know, a lot of civil society is just trying to survive. This was even before the crisis. Yeah. Um, but but I would be in sessions and I, I remember, you know, there was just a few workshops I, I was in and one where I sort of asked people, you know, what what is the role of civil society? Like, what do we think is so amazing about people power and about communities and about, you know, what happens outside of the market and the state? And I felt like, the only thing people could imagine civil society as being about was the delivery of services. And I felt like we'd just really lost a sense of what was possible. Um, so that led me to, um, I just started tweeting about it. This was probably in the middle of last year and, and sort of started talking about, you know, what, what is this void in imagination or what would it mean to do more collective imagination dreaming stuff? And, and sort of just started reading into things like social dreaming, which is a practice that people are trained in. Um, and, and so that's kind of where that bit of the journey started. And then. What was, is that? Can you give us the sort of the, the, the quick sort of view, like the, like, you know, from, if there is a, the practice of social dreaming, can you just give us yeah. a bit of a sense of what that involves? I, I might be making it up a bit. That's no, right. That's good. <laughs> I mean, like, again, I, I, or at least your 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 yeah, sense of it. My understanding of it, and we've actually, I, I've been I've been in a in a version of it once, so I can draw on that. And we, I actually have someone coming in, um, to do a social dreaming, um, a social dreaming session with my team in about four weeks' time. So that will be interesting at the lottery. Um, so it it draws on this idea of like, you know, Jungian theory of like what is in our conscious, what's in our shared consciousness and what, 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 what is in our dreams and how do we, and and it's an indigenous practice that has no doubt been um, appropriated in ways that are not okay, but it was developed further by, I can't remember his name, but someone that is then became associated with a Tavistock clinic in London um, but this idea that our dreams, you know, that there, there are things in our dreams that are shared and that are a message for the wider community. And there's a sort of activity called a social dreaming matrix where you sit in a room. The the, the, the one experience I've had is you, you sit in a room and you're all on different chairs, which are kind of assembled in a real hickledy pickledy way. Um and you all close your eyes and you you start to kind of free, you know, like just talk freely, like words that come up, you just say yeah. them, you build on what others are saying. And, it, and it's just meant to over a period of sort of 40 minutes, I think it was the session we did, you, you just, 
it, yeah, it's, it's almost like when you do, you know, when you do like morning pages, if you've ever done those. Yeah, ones, you're just it, you're just letting go of your yeah. rational stuff and just trying to just literally just whatever's surfacing and emerging, you just go with it, basically. Exactly. You're sort of narrating your morning pages, but in a yeah. collective. Yeah, um, my morning pages, if anyone ever looks at them, I'll probably get locked up, but... Yeah, well, and it and it's really hard to do actually in a room with others if you're in any way self conscious, which is one of the things I still dislike about myself. So breaking breaking through that, right? I imagine yeah. is the and when and I imagine when you do when you do as a group break through, I imagine it's all kinds of brilliance. Yeah, well, that that's what I've not I, I've not done it. <laughs> not had the breakthrough. Not had the breakthrough, but I'm just yeah. I I, I guess. I believe in that idea that our dreams have something in them that when combined with others, others dreams maybe have something to tell us. Mm. Um, that's, I have no scientific evidence of that, but I'm not really someone that bases my life on um, just what we can know and see. I like to believe in that there's things in the world we can't possibly understand or know mm. and that's one of those things for me so yeah so that that's social dreaming and then I guess sort of where I'm at with that now is I did this talk in I think it was like the first week of March literally just before lockdown just before yeah. like the coronavirus knowingly arrived in the UK because I'm sure it was here before that um I was doing this talk and I hate public speaking. Like I'm really not a kind of standing on stage type of person. And I was basically uh, trying to plan my talk and trying to think, well, what can I do that avoids me talking the whole time? Um, And, and just thought, actually, why don't I, why don't I just try and do like a, a kind of imagination experiment? It was an audience of 300 and I just basically I drew on some of Robin, um, I can't remember his surname, who set up um, Transition Towns, who's written the book. Uh, Rob Hopkins. Yeah, Rob. Oh, so, yeah, Rob. I drew on Rob, Rob's work and, and, and some conversations I'd had with Jeff Mulgan, who used to run Nesta, mm. Mm. Um, and then sort of, you know, put in my own mix, if you like. And, um, yeah, and just took people through a kind of visualisation got everyone to close their eyes, tried to set the scene a bit um, and took people through a visualisation and asked people to um, think, like to to then sense, smell, feel, experience uh, this other reality and and then to come back into the room and and share that with people. Um, And, you know, I wouldn't say it was really profound, but people did cry. (laughs) And Mm. I always think, well, if you've, move people to tears yeah a talk with 300 people there's something in that don't usually get you don't usually get that in in keynote talks <laughs> and i and i just think that's because I, I i don't think it it was because there was anything particularly profound in what people had imagined but i think it was actually creating that space for people to even um be giving them permission yeah, to, 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 permission to imagine and, and yeah. realize that we maybe need to imagine more um so yeah so that that kind of and that's led me to want to do some more experiments like that so I am actually I've got I'm doing one on Monday as part of the um civic square in Birmingham I've got a well, with Amy up there yeah yeah 
So I'm they've got this thing called Department of Dreams and with Gemma Mortensen, um, we're doing some we're gonna be doing some more experiments um around that. And it's it's good for me because it's very different obviously from my day job and yeah. it takes me totally out of my comfort zone because you know you I am winging it to be honest like I'm I'm experimenting with it um there's no I, other way I've come to believe in my short period on this planet <laughs> yeah. that at times you've just got it it's just yeah it's it's only through this experimentation isn't it and mm. And if you're, you know, if you're, which I, you know, you are a big reflector as well on your, on your actions and inquiring in these ways. But because I think, again, I mean, sort of looping back to where we started, isn't it? It's almost like thinking as organizations, as people, as communities, being mm. able to have this, these kind of practices that they, they're, I think that's where I'm sort of finding myself drawn to a lot more at the moment is that without these kinds of practice, you know what I mean? We can have money and we can have all these but if we don't have practices that that help people, you know, be able to, you know, an individual level and a community level to, to to be able to hold these complexities and respond to them and dream their way out of them, you know, and then it's it sort of feels such a vital bit. And I think you're right when you're saying, you know, drawing on, you know, there feels like there's real space in all of this to draw on the the unknown and the unknowing, you know, and helping mm. us be more much more comfortable with uncertainty and unknowing and being able to kind of really you know ultimately you know can, can we thrive in all of that mm. uncertainty you know and, that, and have hope you know and, and yeah you know some belief in something else being possible like this yeah I love you know I love Bill Sharp's work and the three horizons but this you know he uses that phrase the patterning of hope and you know, this idea of, you know, he talks about future consciousness and like if we can imagine something different, we can start to embody that now and have that in our consciousness now. Um, and I and I really like that idea of how do we how do we infuse and then sort of embody the the future that we want to create in, mm. in every action, in every um, belief in every behavior and every connection that we that we do and that we have going forward I love that I think that might be a I think that might be the moment to uh to think about a wrap-up because we could just go on and on and on um just a couple of things yeah. um so first up like I know to say you know you, you you've got these different strands of work that you have going on are there are there is there anything you you want to share and how could people sort of check in on this stuff or can it i mean i can put all of this in the in the show notes but is there anything out there that people can you know if they're interested in some of these things can point we can yeah. point them towards i mean i guess uh, at the minute from a totally selfish perspective i'm i'd love anyone that's thinking about or interested in the organizational lust stuff to get in touch because um you know, like we are, we're also looking, I think we might be getting a bit more resource for that work, which will mean we could potentially um, kind of fund, like resource someone that is closing something down as a kind mm. of live prototype. So I'm just generally interested in meeting and talking to anyone that, that 
that has an interest in that work and particularly because they've experienced it or they're going mm. through experiencing it um no and I, I think I think everything else is easily findable online I mean mm. obviously I would definitely say for anyone that wants to do amazing new work in their community to to look at what the lottery fund the community the national lottery community fund will support um yeah because i you know i'm always a fan of new people coming to you know it's important that it's not just the same people that get funded all the time um and other than that i would just say please if you're able to um go and put some money into the uk black lives matter pot yeah i think that's really at the minute i am trying to not be very visible and 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 only put my resource into and give profile to yeah black led organizations black people black artwork um etc brilliant thank you so much cassie for the time i've really enjoyed this conversation and um what you do and is so fascinating i'm i'm, I'm definitely getting in touch again <laughs> there's so much here that's um yeah it's just it's just yeah brilliant brilliant thinking for thank you for having for for the times we're in and then then the final thing i always ask i was my ask my guests so you know my inspiration for this whole podcast of sort of bucky fuller and the spaceship earth and we're all kind of you know we're all kind of flying this 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 thing and this phrase becoming crew like what would you say right now what does that what does that mean to you today becoming crew Becoming crew on the spaceship. Yeah. Um, becoming crew, that means, like, I guess, keeping hold of this idea of our interdependence, mm. which I think over this time has become very visible to those that didn't really get that before. But our interdependence with one another and with the planet and that we need one another. And I, I'll end by saying the same thing that I said at the end of the talk I gave that I mentioned earlier, which was, you know, I asked people to close their eyes and to ask the question, what does it mean? What does it feel like to have one another's lives in our hands? I love that. Thank you so much. No, thank you. <laughs> um, we'll um, we'll be in touch. Yes, thanks, Dan. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Cassie Robinson. Um, I really did. Do check out Cassie's work. Um, and her writing on Medium is always uh beautiful and really opening up and yeah super thoughtful um yeah it's made me think i've been thinking a lot i don't know on that whole this whole hospicing this whole sort of like letting things die how do we let things die and in order for new things to be born um you know how do we do that and you know we talked a bit about organizations and um you know sectors and categories and and all that kind of stuff and i've also been thinking a lot at the moment about how do we let ideas or beliefs 
that we hold to be true that maybe are causing so much destruction and pain how do we how do we let these ideas die in order for new beliefs uh, to come through and that could be anything i mean we've been thinking a lot and working a lot around this you know the ideas of economies and the beliefs that we have around money and the beliefs we have around growth and the beliefs that we have that we're separate from nature and these are all sort of really destructive ideas um that are just belief systems really and how might they how might we put them to bed how might we decide that they're no longer useful um and we're seeing this obviously now you know as as a white person with in the uk with our belief systems of our history what we believe to be true the stories that we believe to be true about our about colonialism or you know empire and and actually what we're now really starting to understand that they were just stories and beliefs that were very told from one perspective now we're understanding and the suffering that's in those ideas and those beliefs so i'm really interested in how we might shift to be how do we let go how do we die off these ideas and beliefs and things beyond just organizations and industries it feels like we've got to have some massive letting go how do we honor the great things that that came out of these beliefs and the learnings while at the same time acknowledging the darkness in them and the pain and the suffering in them and how do we let uh, how do we hospice that out of our into our culture and to our societies anyway big stuff to end on um hmm, musings so i'm going to uh finish this episode with a track uh, now as is the new thing uh before i do um thanks for listening i really appreciate you tuning in if you like the show, please do share it with others or give it a rating on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to it. It just really helps and uh, helps more people discover the the podcast. Um, but yes, uh, I'm going to play out with... I've been thinking, um, obviously, like probably many white people like myself have been um, starting to do a lot of introspection, reflection since uh, the George Floyd killing and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement um yeah what is what is my what are my own biases perspectives what how do i show up in the world with this what am i bringing in in terms of my way of looking at racism and uh i'm just thinking about music because often that's where i've um uh, gone to it throughout my life for um for connection actually and i was thinking about the ratio i have what was the ratio i have with um black artists as i was growing up and uh you know i it's sort of late 80s started getting very much into dance music and house music um a lot of black producers uh, but i was just thinking about like uh guitar music rock music i was very uh into i've always actually been into um sort of alternative rock so I was looking through the my collection and um, up popped uh, Living Colour. Now, Living Colour, um, at least if I go back, because this first album, I'm going to play a track of the first album, which was released in 1988. So I think I was 16, 17. Um, now, I, I really remember discovering, not only because their music was just insanely um, different and unique, um but they were an all black rock band which again at least in when i was 16 was just that wasn't a, that wasn't a, a common thing it was very rare um 
and they're this mad kind of fusion, sort of heavy metal, alt rock, hip hop, punk, funk, total mashup, um, and had this sort of incredible energy. Uh, I saw them once live. Um, they've gone on to release, I think, quite a few albums, six, maybe six. And Living Colour, they didn't uh, shy away from um, political commentary, social commentary in their songs. And now as I look back, bringing, bringing um, racism issues in America into their music. So I'm going to finish with this track, The Cult of Personality, from their debut album Vivid in 1988. This is Living Colour. This was written like over 30 years ago, so so ahead of its time and so relevant today. Thanks for listening. Take good care out there. Look after yourselves. Look after those around you. Until next time. Peace and out. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Personality, the cult of personality.